0: Roger. Okay, I think you're pulling the wrong one. I okay. just okay, I'm ready to pull it down now. There was still a little bit uh, left in the okay.
1: Don't hold the right so tight. Okay, Okay, Stand what?
0: Right. Stand right. I'm just, okay, I'm ready to pull it down now, and we're doing a little good, uh,
1: hi, welcome, welcome to the, the podcast. podcast, this is how, how it's, it's gonna, gonna start. start. Okay, we're back here. This is Live to Tape with Johnny Pemberton, Jimmy Jackson, a.k.a. the hands on the branch, the big boy with the big toys, the full-on licensed driver of Daddy's BRT. That stands for Daddy's Big Red Truck. That's right. Daddy has a big old red truck. <laughs> it's not blue. It's not black. It's definitely not white. Man, if you got a white car, I don't know how you do it. I, I mean I know people people I love have white cars, but I don't get it. I just can't do I just can't do a white car. I'm sorry, it's just me, man. Woo! Uh, the beads are all lined up. They're draped. Um, we're fully uh, fu- fully escaped from your Snapes, and um, we've got a whole bunch of crepes ready to sling. A lot of people talk about talk about pies. They talk about pi- uh, fr- like a frisbee. You know, from Back to the Future, the frisbee tan. They talk about that. They talk about a, uh, an actual Frisbee. They talk about pancakes. They talk about um, cow pies. They talk about um, things like that. I'm talking about slinging crepes, y'all, okay? Thin razor, razor cake crepes being, th- f- being spun to take off your... <laughs> I don't know. I just don't want to rhyme something with rape, honestly. I was just trying to find something else to say other than R A P E. Uh, welcome to the podcast. This is the beginning of it, I think. This is the intro part two. Uh, It's a great day to be here. I've got a new microphone. I don't know if you can tell. I don't know if you can tell. It might be mixed down too much. I can tell. It does sound real warm and clean. I'm at home right now with this nice-ass clean mic. So the thing is, I record in the studio a lot with guests, but sometimes I will record at home. A lot of times I do the intros at home like I am right now. And this new mic, man, it's hot. It's sweet. I'm using a Shure SM7B. And I've got this cool thing called a dynamite stick or something. It's basically like a cloud lifter. It adds gain to the mic. And I have a cool ass boom here. I'm running through the uh, the Roland effects uh, box. I've also got the uh, got my special one of a kind space case. Uh, I think it's called the TE1 space case. That's what this, this is right here. This is right the space, space case. to like right, right face. face. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, doesn't that sound fucking good as hell? That sounds as good as life. Uh, so I've got that running through that stage two run through, and we're just going into your classic good old Scarlet Boy, uh, Scarlet. You know, it's a USB interface in the computer, but this mic, this is the this is a broadcast mic right here. It sounds real good. I'm not even in an insulated, soundproof area. I have a big blanket behind me on a, uh, a clothes rack that works as sort of a mobile. Like a panel, an insulating panel, if you will. Uh, if you will. Uh, <laughs> that's one of those things that people don't say enough anymore, is it? If you will. It's more of like a, hey, I say, these boys have come here for quite some time. Now, if you, if you will, allow me to exacerbate the idea that they have been here all night and all day and they've slept over in the Target parking lot, I say. Yeah, if you will, right? Just allow me that, if you will. That's a great one. So is... um. Uh, This is a really great one. Uh, excuse me, sir, sir, sir. Try that out in your life. Say it a bunch. Just to someone, just some random person. If you say that a bunch, they will, they will respond. They will turn around and be like, uh, yeah, yeah, yes. Is everything okay? I'm sorry. I was just walking into the door. Uh, sir, sir, sir. It works best, I think, if a woman says it to a man, um... Because I t- typically, you know, I don't really know now. I just feel like when I hear uh, a woman's voice saying that, it's usually because I'm in a place like an airport or something like that, and someone's about to, uh, or someplace like an airport, and I'm about to get in trouble for, you know, going the wrong direction on the line, or maybe like uh, uh, taking something that's not supposed to be, not supposed to be free or something like that, sir, sir. Sir, it's anytime I hear that now. Anytime I hear someone say "sir," my immediate instinct is to uh, pretend like I can't hear them, or like they're definitely not talking about me. Even though most of the time they're not, but it's a thing where, let's say, I know they're saying "sir" to me. This is—I'm really making up this to be like a big thing. Like I get in a lot of of prob- problems where someone's saying "sir" to me, but I definitely it's happened a couple times but i think i've purpose purposefully into instigated it by saying what if this person will say sir 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 that's closed that section is closed sir just shit like that like a section of a restaurant's closed or you go into an area that's uh, like employees only or something and they're like oh you can't go back there. and if you just if you just don't hear the sir if you just pretend like you don't hear the sir then They're forced to either, sometimes they, it's fun to see just how much someone will amp up their, their aggression to yelling at you before they will just literally walk over to you and say, excuse me, hi, um, this area is actually closed. Those from from super far away, just going, sir, 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 excuse me, sir, just fucking people go crazy just so they can, uh, I don't know something funny about it. Like it's a weird power dynamic thing that it's very real. In the, the screaming of sir, <laughs> excuse me, sir. Uh, I get to, I, I think I'm, hopefully uh, you uh, all agree with me that this is a, a funny thing to think about. Uh, this is the podcast. This is Live to Tape with Johnny Pemberton here on the Starburns Audio Network. We are streaming live when we are and we're not when we are, but we're still live because... If you're listening to it as you are right now, it's it's first time, so there you go. It's live to you, baby. It's live to you. That's what my mom always said. Hey, hey, baby, it's live to you. If you want to support the podcast further, go to patreon.com live to tape. There's multiple integration access port windows there, all uh, f- all ranging from low to very low, and so you can get some extra goods there on that that site. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It's easy to do, and only helps unless you write a bad review. In which case, um, I don't know. I I, I gotta say, at some of the bad reviews I have I have uh, read of the podcast. There's only a few of them, but they're pretty. Creative and I and fucking, I always think that's so funny that, um, when people write a bad review, I just actually recently got really shook up. I recently, I mean like 20 minutes ago or less, because so I was trying to find some information online and I stumbled across a review of an old stand sh- uh, a solo show I did someplace and it was from the gate. It was bad. It was like the, the byline was, was really, was, uh, It's not so much dismissive as, I don't know, it just was basically right out the gate, just really fucking talking shit about me. And uh, what was that sound? It sounded like I just had like a crust in my nose. It was, not I can assure you, everything's clear here. It's good. It's it's as good as it can be without being, what am I even talking about? Uh, What I'm saying is that this review was so, uh, the headline was bad, and I somehow... Accidentally, I mean, accidents. Accidents can happen. What I'm trying to say is, I didn't seek this out. I purposely don't really like to read stuff like that because you don't get anything good from it. But right away, I saw. Wait, I think this is bad. So I had to check out the rest of it to see how bad it was. And it was like really harsh and uh, mean and kind of personal and just really a person just really clearly did not understand, did did not get it, and they don't have much of a sense of humor. Um, but it fucking th- it gutted me for like a second. I was like shaking because I couldn't believe I wasn't looking for that, and I all of a sudden found. You ever find something you're not looking for, and that's what hurts you is because you weren't looking for that. I was looking for some pretzels, but I found a dead rat. I was like that kind of thing, basically. It was such a such a fucking side swipe What's it called, a sucker punch, or when you just get it hit from the side because you weren't expecting it? So it was it was that. And here's the thing that kicks, here's the thing that really kills me, is that show was outstanding. I felt so good after that show, this particular show in this particular place that wasn't L.A. I felt, I mean, it was a fucking badass show. Obviously, there's always going to be some people who uh, don't love things and maybe they, you know, it's... Think, but I, I felt I felt really good about it. It was like an aggressive, experimental. I wouldn't say it, was, it wasn't super experimental by any by any, um, any means. It was just uh, it was a great, wonderful show. I had a great experience, and so, so to see someone so so gravely misinterpret the thing that that I felt so good about makes me like, wait a second, am I wrong? Am I fucking crazy? Did I, did I like not experience what, the, what I thought I did? Cause I, I know I don't, I'm not, uh, an idiot. I, ha, I do have, uh, I'm able to fee- understand what's going out there and understand the feedback I'm getting. And, uh, I had so much good feedback. So to hear this from this guy, it's just like, oh my God, what a fucking thing it was. Jesus Christ. I don't know what I'm trying to say here other than, uh, than wow. Sometimes you just get slapped. And it's from someone who, oh, there. This person's something's going on there, uh, and they they had to do that. They had to um, take me take me down a peg for some reason. It's crazy. It's just crazy that shit happens. Uh, either way, I feel great now. And this is totally totally goddamn rambling. But what I'm saying is, yes, please rate and review the podcast. And if you want to leave a fucking shitty review, that's on you. Someone said. There's a couple people here who are asking for older guests. I love how the guests put music they like. Do more of that and have younger guests. And then someone says, clearly, who's either written this one or is responding, um, Johnny Pemberton is uh, blah, 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 blah. This is just being nice. Only one problem. Guests are generally too young. We demand older guests. I like both of these because I, I really have had a pretty significant... I would say I have... Oh, my God. I just... I just did my... I just do my... Health. I was like... I was saying... I was saying... You no, know. I would say... I just realized that I've had a extreme... <laughs> a very wide swath of age ranges on the podcast significantly. So, so... It's kind of a absurd that someone's even saying that I should have younger or older guests. I don't know how it gets much younger. I guess I could have someone who's like 14 on the podcast. I don't know what we talk about. Very young people are probably terrible podcast guests. I'm just going to say that. I think that's probably true. Someone also had a really funny review here. Someone wrote, not bad for a Christmas podcast, which is true. This is the only Christmas podcast in America right now. So... Make sure you um make sure you note that in your review, please. And thank you so much for rating, reviewing, subscribing. Thank you so much for rating, reviewing, subscribing the podcast. It's a great experience. It's a big day. I want to let you know I've got some uh, tour dates coming up here. I'll be in Des Moines, Iowa, July twentieth. That's my personal solo show. It's going to be crazy, fun, super good, hilarious, awesome. I'm going to have some, some people, uh, local folks who are going to be opening the show. That's going to be really good. It's going to be part of a bigger tour. I think I'll be in Minneapolis a few days after that. Maybe the next day, July 21st. I think that's the case. Um, maybe, you know, maybe it's the day before that. Either way, just be aware that that part of July, doing a bunch of shows uh, in the Midwest and probably the Eastern Seaboard as well. I might be in, uh, yeah, it's that stuff. So keep a lookout for. July for me being touring to do comedy for you. Okay? Let's get down into it now. Let's get to the meat. Hi, Dr. Paul Johnson. Welcome.
0: Hi, Johnny. Nice to be with you again.
1: <laughs> it's been a while. It has. Yeah, man. So you are currently in uh, Switzerland, right? Correct. You're in, um, uh, what is it, the capital? No, the capital yes. is Bern, isn't it? You're in Bern?
0: Uh, uh, sorry, yeah. No, not, or, not, not in Bern. Uh, in in, in, in Zürich. Zürich? Yep.
1: Cool. Do you speak uh, Swiss German yet?
0: I don't. How about French? <laughs> uh, only what I learned from Miss Groven in high school. I don't know if you had her.
1: <laughs> I did, yeah. We had uh, a different name back then, though. Uh, that's so uh, interesting. So, um, this is the end of your work day, right?
0: Uh, yeah. We're just uh, working on some uh, getting a manuscript out. So.
1: Oh, what's a manuscript? I mean, it's, obviously, it's I know um, what a manuscript is. Colloquial, I know what it means to me. But you're a doctor of, uh, would you say neuroscience or neurobiology?
0: Yeah, exactly. And well, which so one is, is it,
1: neuroscience or neuro? What are you? What are you, what are you, what are you Paul? It,
0: it, you, you could say either because I work on neurobiology and okay. in the broader sense, neuroscience. So.
1: Neuroscience. Okay, got it. So, uh, what is that? And you've been doing this for a while now because you're a you're a certified PhD, aren't you? That's correct. So you work in a a commercial lab, or do you work in a a university?
0: It's at a university.
1: Okay. So So, what university is it?
0: um, Here, it's, uh, they call it ETH, or ETH, as we would say. ETH. It's the Swiss Swiss Federal Institute of of Technology in Zurich. Are you loving it? Yeah, it's it's quite nice. Switzerland's a great (laughs) place.
1: Yes, yeah, Switzerland is truly one of the greatest places. I feel like Switzerland's up there with California in terms of, of wow, this place is uh, is something else.
0: You've been here, right?
1: I was there once a long time ago. Well, not a long time ago. Probably almost, maybe fifteen. Oh, you know, it was probably actually seventeen years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh wow!
1: Jesus Christ! You... I can't believe how long ago that was. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed it.
1: I did. I loved it. So, um, so. You're pretty busy there, aren't you? Because it seems like you have like this, you're working a lot. Because right now you're still in the lab, and it's 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 the evening there.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean it comes and goes with the busyness. Uh, but right now, since we're trying to push this manuscript out, we're um, uh, trying to work a little harder. Though I slept quite late today. So
1: what does that mean, uh, pushing it when you say? What does that entail? Like having to do having to do what you're doing right now.
0: Uh, so you're basically just uh, trying to write down and communicate all your findings to the, the broader scientific audience, okay. you know, wherever you're publishing it. So you need to make sure that everything's uh, written properly. And th- these manuscripts are generally pretty short, you know, like a, a few pages long. But wow. it's it's like every word has to be perfect, every phrase. You have to make sure everything you say is accurate. And
1: So it's an economy uh, of words.
0: Yes, certainly.
1: Is this available to the public to read, or no? Is this private?
0: Um, most publications are available to the public if it's been sponsored by the NIH after about six months. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's usually a paywall.
1: Can you talk about this one right now? What it, what's it, what it's about?
0: Sure. Um, so my, uh, I, I'm working on this project with two other people: um, Agam Shaw, who's a PhD student here. And Mehmet Ozdis, who's also a PhD student here in these our guys, in these, my lab,
1: are these guys from different parts of the world like you?
0: Yep, Agam is from Mumbai, Damn. and um, Mehmet is from uh, Batman, Turkey. Batman? And Batman, Turkey. I <laughs> cool. think it's in the the southeast. That's um, cool. And our, our advisor is uh, originally Turkish, Mehmet hmm.
1: Um
0: So. Yeah, uh, that's, that's the team. And uh, we've been working on something called uh, targeted drug delivery. Okay. So we're trying to um, create a, a technique that we think will be important for the treatment of CNS diseases, both psychiatric and neurologic. Um, in the last, well, for decades we've known that— Okay, CNS,
1: um, let me stop you. CNS stands for Central Nervous System, right?
0: Exactly. Okay, Sorry cool. about
1: that. Yeah, I'm pretty smart. Thank you. No big deal.
0: <laughs> and CNS diseases, we've, we've determined more and more, are, are seem to be circuit-based. What's and that mean? So you'll <laughs> you'll have uh, collections of neurons in different regions of the brain that interact together to produce a phenotype or like uh, what a disease actually looks like.
1: So A phenotype is a, is a physical expression of... Like a genetic trait, is that right, or no?
0: Yes. Yep. Okay. And um, it, in this case, they, uh, we're getting greater and greater understanding of what drives these diseases, uh, like uh, both neurologic and psychiatric diseases. But the problem is uh, the translation uh, of, of this understanding of what causes the disease to treating it has not been commensurate with the, the, the gain in knowledge that we've got. So we're trying to come up with techniques that will maybe help us to uh, better treat all central nervous system diseases. And to do this, we want to be able to target uh, circuits rather than giving a drug which goes everywhere in the brain and everywhere in the body. And and that's important because if you, if you give drugs, they can have Uh, unwanted side effects this can be caused by effects in the periphery the areas outside the brain or or also in in the brain so um, our goal is to um, be able to take a drug and deliver it to a very small area of the brain let's say a a cubic uh, a couple like a cubic centimeter okay um, or or small
1: like a specific region of the brain like the hypothalamus that's an area
0: right Oh yeah, that's,
1: that's the only place I can remember right now.
0: It's a very, very important region of the brain.
1: Is that what controls your breathing, right?
0: Uh, among other things, yes. Damn. A lot of homeostatic processes. Ooh, so, what's a
1: homeostatic process
0: uh, There, there are things that um, keep keep our body in in health, and they respond to uh, like differences in our environment by um, acting on say like you said breathing uh-huh. um it, it's it's involved in in sleep in blood flow uh yes okay. i believe that's correct i'm not a huge hypothalamus expert but i i think you're right
1: what's your main so, what's your region
0: so we're working on cortical areas okay um, what is that and, and so that's uh, if you look at a, a picture of a brain, it, it's got like all these folds mm-hmm. and uh, what we call gyri, like gyruses. and. Ooh, I've never um, heard that word before. Uh, yeah. That, so yeah, it's, it's one big fold. uh, yeah. Ooh, that and... makes me
1: want to have a euro to be honest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or if in your if you're in Europe, a kebab.
1: Uh, donor kebab. Yeah. Oh, uh, nothing beats a good donor.
0: You sound experienced.
1: Yeah, I Very remember one time someone asked I had a friend I wasn't it was somewhere overseas and the guy was eating these donor kebabs every day and he asked the guy, "What is in a donor kebab? It's so good." And The guy goes, "It's donor. <laughs> I think he didn't know, he didn't have the English to to say what it was. So, that's that's a, a cool little side story. So you're saying about these these gyra, just how like you said or General? Yeah. Okay. We'll
0: just say the the outer surfaces of the brain that's that's the cortex and okay. that seems to be the the um that that's really what makes humans uh, it gives us our uh, we think our, our our cognitive capacities that that differentiate us from from other species. Wow. And it's it's involved in in pretty much everything. Um in the reason that we selected this um, Mehmet, uh, the, one of the grad students in here, um, had to come up with a, a method that we could do where we could, um, use our, our drug targeting device, but be able to measure brain activity at the same time to see how our technique is affecting, um, communication within the brain.
1: Is this rats so, test tested? Are you still, is it animal trials at this point? How does that work?
0: Yep, exactly. So, so rats are the case,
1: best thing to test rat. for that sort of thing?
0: Uh, at the moment, we yeah. think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so we we needed something, uh, we needed some measure, right, of, of brain activity. And so Mehmet worked very hard to get um, this uh, electrophysiologic uh, setup where he can record electrical activity from uh, um, an area of the cortex that gets um input from a different area of the cortex right so these two areas are communicating with each other and 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 this area receives sensory input so the the basic idea is you uh you can have an animal under anesthesia so they're they're not feeling anything um, and you can very quickly um, at high frequency flick their whiskers and They have this um, interesting feature that uh, Relays the sensory information to an area of the cortex called the barrel cortex and, and there are all these what look like physical barrels that correspond to uh, in uh, Area of the brain that receives sensory input from each individual whisker. Okay, so Holy we shit. can
1: wow that's interesting
0: So you can flick the whiskers they that results in activity in this area and that that Uh, Activity in the sensory area transmits this information to the other area of the cortex where we're recording uh, electrical signals from called the motor cortex. And so this information is relayed and and we can measure this uh, thanks to great efforts uh, by Mehmet to get this up and running. So uh, like I said, the purpose of this is simply to have a way to measure whether we can alter brain activity in a circuit-specific uh, manner. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, I, I had mentioned at the beginning that we're working on targeted delivery. So, in this case, we want to be able to deliver a drug only to this the sensory area of the cortex okay. that I said was the the, the barrel barrels.
1: cortex where where uh, the where the the, uh, the whisker the whisker flickers live. Which is now I'll never stop thinking about the idea of the, that combination of words hi what are you at this lab i'm a i'm a whisker flicker (laughs) i have to i have to check in to flick whiskers all day (laughs) official official whisker flicker
0: Uh, i think remit now has a new nickname
1: yeah flisker whisk whisk flicker so yeah you're saying you have to target those, those sensory inputs on the brain
0: yeah so uh uh to do this, um, the the system that we're using for targeted delivery, uh, we, we uh, there's another person in lab named Agam, the guy from Mumbai. Mm-hmm. He, he's uh, also worked extremely hard to get um, basically these nanoparticles um, to work, at, and this is the whole basis of this targeted delivery system so
1: Can you describe real quick what makes a nanoparticle? because obviously nano means it's very very small right but what
0: exactly is there
1: a way to like sort of explain that to have some sort of a what do you, point of comparison to how small that is
0: sure so uh we're talking uh 100 nanometers would be let's see th- that would be a thousand times uh let's see 10,000 times smaller. Uh, let's see. These factors That's of 10, 10
1: get messy, don't they?
0: <laughs> 10, yeah, 10 to the minus <laughs> 7, I think that is. And so this is much, much smaller than... I, I don't know what a human hair is, right. but well, how, uh, much, what, much smaller. What about this a grain of
1: sand the, or something? How many... How many, uh, I, Maybe I can Google it. What? The, how many nanometers is a grain of sand?
0: Sure. Uh, it how would many... still be much... Much smaller than that, it, it would be about ten times the size of a cell in your body. Which... Ten,
1: wait, this is ten times the size of a cell.
0: Yep, yeah, but still not visible to the naked eye.
1: Okay, so a cell is how big is a cell? Uh,
0: I, I think brain cells are usually around like ten uh, microns or so. What's
1: a is a micron? Uh, what's a micron compared to a nanometer? Oh, sorry,
0: uh, no, this is uh, ten times smaller than sorry, a hundred times smaller than a, a cell.
1: So what you're talking sorry. about, a nanoparticle is a hundred times smaller than a cell. Yes. So, cause those are factors of 10, which is not, doesn't mean it's, that's significantly smaller, right?
0: It, yes, it is.
1: Wow. That's um, crazy. I mean, that's one of those things where, does it ever bother you or become difficult to sort of, uh, what do you say? Um, to like, contextualize this stuff because it's so abstract you know small it's easy to think about big I th- I feel like because big is we can look over a large distance you know what I'm saying but but think about something so small it's so hard to contextualize it what do you do do you, do you even try or is something where it doesn't matter because it's so abstract already that you don't have to contextualize it in terms of how you're thinking about it
0: um I I I I think as you've you've done to try and put it in context using things that we can fathom I guess the size of them is probably the best way to do it.
1: So it's sort of like you you're kind of in the dark really you know cuz it's so small you, you can look at it right. under is this something you can look at under an electron micro, microscope?
0: It, yes, you can.
1: So uh, do you view this stuff then? Are you able to view it or only you able to view it after you like extract the cells from the the, the test so subject? You,
0: we, we haven't done that, but yes, you, you you can do that. We have other ways of measuring them and making sure that we're making them the appropriate size in lab. Um, so we have uh, like uh, methods to to see them, um, but not you know physically, obviously. What is
1: that? Like what are those methods besides what that that cool microscope I just mentioned?
0: So you can use. Um, uh, so there are two parts to these particles. The the, the nano size uh, portions can be um, measured with a device in lab that uh, I, I I haven't used this, but I believe it uses uh, differences in in charge and wow. in an aperture, and so you can you can measure sort of the number of particles you have, and I believe the size distribution. But Agam would would know more about that. He, he's the one who does experiments. Um, and then th- there's a second part of these particles that, that are much bigger. These are gas-filled micro-bubbles. So those are in the micron size, which is, you know, a thousand times larger than nano uh, size objects and a thousand oh. times larger than millimeter size.
1: So it's a um, micro-bubble. Exactly. So it's you say it's a thousand times smaller than a millimeter?
0: Uh, yeah. I, I wow. I think we're on the order of 1.5 microns if—, if I, I recall correctly. Damn. So those, these are attached to each other.
1: <laughs> okay. They're attached. To so how do you, how do you even go about creating a micro bubble? Cause you're saying you create the micro bubble to attach the drug to, to deliver it.
0: So w- we, we fill those, those nanoparticles, mm-hmm. we call them liposomes. We fill those with drug. Um, but we, we have to have uh some sort of actuator um, in this case we're using sound to act on these particles to get them to release drug um, but these these nanoparticles themselves aren't sensitive to it so we attach them to these micro bubbles which are filled with gas and these are sensitive to sound so what
1: kind of gas are we talking about here
0: uh i believe we use per, uh, perfluorobutane what is that uh, it's uh it's a a, a gas um, that has um, that's at uh, at body temperature. It it remains a gas. Oh, uh, wow, okay. Th- that's the um, sort of the important take-home message here, and it's mm-hmm. it's not shown to be be toxic. Wow. So that's why you, we use it. There are other people who uh, make particles with um, liquids that are. Compounds that are sort of similar to the gas we use that are liquid at mm-hmm. body temperature, but when you add in ultrasound energy or, or heat, it'll actually cause a phase transition and they'll go from liquid to gas to cause these particles to to open up. But we've chosen not to do that. So um,
1: you have these gas these gas bubbles of of butane, some type of a butate, right? And so those are they they are enclosed around the drug.
0: Uh, so uh we use lipids just mm-hmm. uh sort of like the they're the things that that similar to what make up your cell membranes so mm-hmm. they they're charged and they have a a polar and the nonpolar end and they they naturally form uh these uh, uh bilayers usually um, in some case bilayers in some cases my cells. in our case uh these, these are used to make the bubbles, so we trap gas within in those, and then we have uh, a different set of lipids that we make the, the smaller nanoparticles out of that we, we cage in uh, liquid with drug, and then we attach those two together.
1: So it's a, two bubbles attached to each other. One is the, one's like the balloon, and one is the basket. Exactly. Wow. So how do you go about creating something like this? It's so small.
0: Uh, sure. So that's, that's sort of an extended process. Um, I bet it uh, (laughs) it took, it took took Agam quite, quite a bit of time to be able to optimize this. And some, some other colleagues of ours helped us with this. Um, but you essentially start, start off with your, the lipids themselves. Okay. And then you, um, you, you sonicate them. Um,
1: You sonicate. Does that mean you, you blast them with a sound?
0: uh, Yep, exactly. Um, and so this agitates them, and um, you get uh, you, you get a medium that once you uh, once you go and you add gas in, and then uh, this this gas we're talking about perfluorobutane, mm-hmm. and uh, you you, you sonicate that with the gas, it causes these uh, lipids uh, like these these bubbles to naturally form um, with the the gas inside, and then. From so where from are you there, doing this? You, is, this
1: like, is this like done in some sort of a – like where in the lab is this happening? What kind of a physical setup? Like if you look at – if someone came in there and they saw you doing this, what is it going to look like? Is it a big machine or is it something as basic as a is like a, a vibrating dildo underneath a Petri dish? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so this this isn't uh, terribly sophisticated. Maybe a little more than the, the latter device you okay. described. Uh, <laughs> But it it begins with like a a, a what we call a bass sonicator. So it's just a a, it's a fish device finder. that holds water. A what?
1: It's a fish finder.
0: Fish finder. You know like what a fish finder?
1: No, fish finder is one of those things that you have in a bass boat. It sends out ultra sends out ultrasound in the lake to find fish. You know about that shit? A fish finder.
0: I, I don't. I don't.
1: You never heard of a fish finder, Paul Johnson from Minnesota?
0: I, I, I'm ashamed to to say.
1: Wow. You should probably get one in the lab. A fish finder is this little device. I don't know if it goes in the water. I think it has a, a big piece that goes underneath the boat and it sends out basically sonar to find out, to find masses in the lake to help you find like a school of fish you can drop your hook into and you can, uh, typically or possibly be a more successful fisherman.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a great idea. I, I, uh, I, well, I'm ashamed that I, I didn't know this, especially now you know. Minnesota.
1: <laughs> so, so you have a bassinator, is that what you call it?
0: Uh, a bath sonicator. A so bath sonicator, okay. Sort of like a, a, a tub that holds water that you, you can apply uh, ultrasound to, or uh, high-frequency sound waves. Right. And we use that to heat these lipids, um, and then we subsequently put it in uh, sort of a clamp, and then there's a needle that that feeds the gas into it, and then something that looks sort of like a thin pole, maybe a couple of millimeters in uh, in, the, in diameter, mm-hmm. and you you put that into a glass. You have your lipids in a glass tube, and then you you add the gas and you sonicate, and you get this liquid that quickly turns very white, um, and that's bubbles being made and that's what it would look like
1: so you take that and you can inject it into your test subject and the idea is then from there what do you do from there
0: yeah so first we have to attach the 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 bubbles to the the nanoparticles the Mm -hmm. liposomes and once we do that yes you can you can inject it intravenously um and this is they go very quickly to the brain and then, as I said, these are uh, sensitive to sound. In, in this case, ultrasound, sort of like um, what people use to visualize their uh, like uh, babies, you know, before they're born. Um, and they also use diagnostic ultrasound for all sorts right. of other things.
1: So, is but, ultrasound a very is it very high frequency or very low frequency?
0: This one is very high frequency. Okay. Not as high frequency as diagnostic ultrasound, but it's. Okay. Uh, um, still very high frequency, and the the special thing about this is that we actually we focus it um, to sort of a, a point source. Um, it looks sort of like a very small cigar. That mm-hmm. would be the the focal area um, where all this ultrasound is being concentrated. Okay. And so when we do that in the brain, it's uh, it's only a few millimeters long, and a little more than a, a millimeter uh, wide we'll say um and so when you inject these particles and you apply this ultrasound it causes them to uh release their drug in this area and like i said um is is doing electrophysiology which is uh he's using electrodes to measure uh brain activity in an area that receives electrical input from the area that we're uh applying this this drug right and importantly this this drug actually it mimics uh one of the neurotransmitters we have in our brain gaba which is responsible for what we call fast inhibitory transmission so um basically what that means is when when this uh receptor is or sorry when this um neurotransmitter is released and it acts on cells through mm-hmm. through a, a receptor it causes their activity to turn off very quickly
1: Okay, so you can um, turn something off essentially, turn off a yep. circuit. Exactly. So what's what's the uh, what's the grand idea with the delivery? Obviously, you want to treat central nervous system diseases. What is yeah. there some something that is there a type? Is there a specific disease or a syndrome or something that you're using in the lab to uh, to try to test this on? Is there a, a specific? I don't know a thing that that uh, you're testing it with.
0: Yeah. So, uh, as you point out, uh, rat whisking behavior isn't exactly a major uh, social <laughs> nervous system disorder. Yeah. yeah, we're we're only doing this as proof of principle. Okay. But now that that, that we've it it took a very long time to figure out uh, how to make this work. It's it's very simple in principle, but to actually get it to work, it took us about two years. Wow. Um, it, it was extremely difficult. Um, but now that we do have it working, yes, we, we would like to apply it to, to some models. Um, in one case, there's a, a model of compulsive behavior that's Agam, uh, who, who also worked so hard on getting these micro nanoparticles to work. Right. Um, he, he would like to apply it there um, in, in a different area of the cortex.
1: So compulsive is compulsive behavior, is that the same as addiction, essentially, or no?
0: It's related to that because yeah.
1: I know you sure. you were, you did study addiction for a while, right? Is that correct?
0: Yep, yeah, exactly. And so the 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 areas that are involved in compulsive uh, drug taking, compulsive eating, also appear to be involved in uh, in this model. It's it's a model of trichotillomania, which is actually compulsive hair pulling. Yeah, okay. These are the people who who pull out their hair, and they have uh, mouse models which actually um, recapitulate uh this this phenotype in in mice
1: recapitulating phenotypes baby that's what I do all fucking day I'm all about recapitulating <laughs> phenotypes what does that mean because doesn't capitulate mean to give up or to to, fa- to fail or no am I thinking of something else what does recapitulate uh, mean
0: it basically recreates uh, okay. the human scenario in in in, in an animal wow. uh, so that's interesting.
1: you're able to re- you're able to recreate trichotillomania in a, in a rat
0: so yeah so other people have done this uh by knocking out a gene um and it 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 involves similar circuitries that you see in humans and um they've found that when you uh suppress certain cortical input um into um one of the areas that i worked on in my previous project called it's a deeper brain structure called the striatum which is involved in movement but also motivation and compulsive action um they found that depending on the cortical area, you either stimulate or inhibit. You can sort of shut down this compulsive behavior.
1: Wow! So, so this is you can do this with a very specific targeted area with what you're talking about. With um, so instead of knocking out a gene, instead of doing gene therapy, you're able to do actual drug therapy.
0: Exactly. Is, and, is that safer? The thing, uh, certainly. Safer, oh, hold um, on! You just broke up. Say that one more time? And, uh, certainly it's, yeah, certainly safer than, um, than doing gene therapy. Why is that?
1: Point. I mean, I, I say that thinking, I know that, know that gene therapy is more dangerous, but why do I, why is that the case?
0: So there, there have been some success successes, especially in the last year for, uh, with gene therapy, the, there, there are several problems with it. And, um, I think in the nineties the when they first started doing, um, gene therapy for, I think, congenital heart disorders. I I might be wrong on this, but whatever the disease said it that they were working on, somebody died in the clinical trial. And so there was sort of this uh, bad shadow cast on... um, Because one guy died
1: of heart disease, of something because of, well, that seems like a small, I mean, I don't know the guy, but it seems like a small price to pay. And also somebody that's sort of, the risk is implied, right?
0: Uh, it is, but of course, you you know the 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 first idea in any clinical trial is that you need to do something that's That helps uh, doesn't kill, safe, yeah, <laughs> is a non-kill trial, exactly. Okay, I get it. And so they've improved the the vectors for delivery, um, and those are usually viruses, um, specifically AAV, adenovirus-associated virus, which is. Uh, supposed to be a type of virus that has really no ill impact it simply acts as a vector that is you can take something that you want to be made uh say a protein and when the virus infects infects a cell it's going to um put that genet- genetic material in the cell and that protein is going to be made Dude, so
1: that that is so so cool i talk about the word vector is one of my favorite words because I, I learned about it I learned the word vector a while ago and someone told me about how, um, you know, this old guy named uh, Al, uh, Al, I can't remember his last name right now, I don't know why, he's a brilliant gardener uh, and he calls anything that goes near your compost pile, like rats in a compost pile are considered a vector because they, like isn't a vector technically something that moves through an area and it either takes and doesn't, Give or it gives and doesn't take. Right. It's it causes a change in the environment without without um, it's not a reciprocal change. Right. Is that what it means?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's how it just, it's used in the biological sense.
1: So in that case, a virus is a vector in the sense where it moves into this area. It leaves something and then it goes and it doesn't it doesn't uh, take anything with it.
0: Yep, yeah, it's not supposed to cause any ill effect.
1: That's so cool. Please tell me you've seen um, any of the born. Have you seen the most recent Jason Bourne movie?
0: I don't think I have. Paul, you Did should watch Dexter? this.
1: You should watch this because, basically, what they're doing to these to to make these soldiers like really powerful, is they they uh, treat them with some sort of a. They basically give them a virus that teaches their body to be fucking badass. And <laughs> okay. so there's one case there's one part where he has to they ha- he says they have to he has to viral out so he basically has a flu for 2 days while this virus does its job on him and it makes him makes him a, makes him like a total badass but they're talking about using viruses for this for this um to teach these teach the cells this stuff or to give them these special powers essentially which is not wow. that that different than what you're talking about is it it's the same thing isn't it <laughs>
0: Uh, same thing in principle. Yeah. Yeah.
1: in princi- <laughs> principle. <laughs> That's so cool.
0: And, and uh, actually they, they've, they've been using, um, so ultrasound with these, uh, micro bubbles that I was talking about. So, uh, one thing I didn't mention is we needed to do this in a way that was safe. And so there's this, this barrier that exists, um, to exclude things like pathogens, but also, uh, natural, uh, Molecules that exist in your blood from entering the brain and coming in contact with uh, brain tissue. It's it's a very privileged site, and it needs uh, its environment needs to be tightly controlled. So all of the 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 vessels, the brain vessels and capillaries in your brain are 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 covered by other cells which regulate what goes in and out. And when this barrier breaks down, you can get you can get problems. You can get cell death there. It seems to be associated with. Um, a lot of neurodegenerative diseases and and an
1: example of neurodegenerative disease, like Uh, something
0: like, yep. Like Parkinson's or or Alzheimer's. Um, so it's not good. You need to do this in a very safe way. And that, that was part of the difficulty of us trying to figure out how to get this to work. Um, but all, all this is to say some people actually, uh, want to open this barrier. Right. Um, and so one of the reasons for doing that is actually to deliver, um, potentially deliver virus and people have done this so for gene therapy they use ultrasound with micro to selectively open a small part of this barrier in a small area of the brain and then virus can actually come in and you can you can deliver a, a gene of interest
1: are viruses large or small relatively speaking
0: uh they're Pretty large. I, okay. I don't recall exactly how large AAV is, but so that means uh, they you have
1: start, to make a space for it. you're saying they have to open up that that barrier.
0: Yep, the okay. barrier, and uh, yeah.
1: So it's like getting so, like a really a really big guy into a club that has bouncers. Like someone who's really big is hard to sneak past the gate.
0: Exactly. So you but gotta, if you come in the sound ray, maybe you can get past those bouncers. I
1: see. Yeah, sound ray. I'm try this out. That's interesting. <laughs> So, is this? Do you ever get frustrated with the time stuff takes, or is it something where you're so consumed with all the uh, the science of it all that it's sort of everything is there's small victories along the way, or does it ever get really frustrating to where you're you're hitting a wall and you can't figure out why something isn't working, and it's like a thing where you feel like it's I guess yeah, I guess can you speak to that at all?
0: yeah no uh it's as you say it it always depends on the project but almost always it's extremely frustrating and there's a lot of repetition and uh to simply get something to work can be it can take a long time like i said in this case it took years and you just have to focus on the end goal uh a lot of repetition is that all that keeps you
1: going is just focusing on the end goal is there anything else you do that helps you not get bogged down with the the frustrations of a of a of something that seems so far away and possibly not even not even a viable not even a viable thing.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's where the you know if if you're a, a good scientist sometimes you have creative solutions sometimes it's it's not too creative sometimes it's just brute force trying different things that gets the idea to work. In this case, um, I can't really speak a lot about it, but. There was a particular particular way of uh the way that we deliver the ultrasound um, that uh, agam had 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 thought of that that really changed things for us so it, it's proprietary it made it, uh sort of yes at oh, this cool. point um nice and and th- this was uh one of those things that was like uh it was a new creative approach for this problem that we were having we needed to deliver drug but we needed it to be safe those two things and so that's actually a great example of, you know, we were sort of hitting our uh, heads against a wall trying to figure out how to get this to work. And he, he, he and uh, another uh, talented student in, in lab, Nishit Patel, had uh, worked uh, to change things, tweak things slightly that made it all possible. So creative thinking that, that got us through.
1: Have you ever had an aha moment in all these years you've been um, working in uh, the lab where you were like, you know, I don't know, skiing or doing something else when you, and you have this problem in your brain and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, this is a way to try, or this is a, <laughs> something kind of clicked.
0: Uh, I mean, you, the, not the way it would be portrayed in a movie. Right. Um, I, I realized that. Um, but yeah, uh, when we first tried this, uh, special, uh, ultrasound, uh, technique that, that, they thought of it 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 worked uh not perfect the first time but it was it was a very drastic change so that was uh, i guess a bit of a, an aha moment um
1: where were you when you had yeah. this aha moment did you have an aha moment
0: we were a couple rooms down from from where I am right now
1: were you guys in the behavior room
0: <laughs> uh no we were in a a, a surgical suite oh wow or sur- surgical area what
1: were you guys doing like doing tests on each other or what <laughs>
0: We, that'll be the next step. Uh, in this case, it was, it was just with rats because uh, you, you need a surgical space because you need to uh, put an electrode inside of the brain. Okay. So.
1: Do you ever have uh, what's, what's the coolest lunch you've had in the last few weeks? Do you have cool lunches there or no? Is that not a cool thing to have cool lunch? <laughs>
0: um, <clears throat> the coolest thing I had was not for lunch but for dinner mm-hmm. called Hakapita. I think they have something similar in Wisconsin called tiger meat.
1: Oh my god! I think
0: there it's like, I think it's raw beef with onions. But in Germany, there's something. You know, it's called Hackpita, and it's raw pork, but it tastes like uh, sausage. Um, it's delicious. Sounds that, that safe. Would...
1: <laughs> wow, I'm having some yeah, raw definitely. pork in my my neurobiology lab for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you some questions here? Sure. Um, I have some questions from listeners. I want to ask. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go here. Here we go. Um, We got a bunch of them. Some of these. I don't understand a lot of these. Honest. I truly do not understand what some of these mean because I think some of these people are significantly smarter than me. Um. Someone says. uh, Okay. What is the evolutionarily evolutionary imperative of NDES? What's an NDE? Does that make sense to you uh
0: ndes i i don't know what that is
1: okay maybe we'll have to reply um
0: oh is that near-death experience
1: oh i think that might be what it is yeah uh i have no idea okay
0: (laughs) sorry got it
1: i think that's probably what it is what about um uh what do you think of the 15 minutes of brain activity that occurs after the body slash and quote in parentheses uh, heart has died because that's the thing that happens, right The brain stays uh, electric.
0: Uh, it, it may very well uh, again, I think you're like this is probably outside of my domain of expertise but
1: let's just pretend uh, it is let's pretend it is in your domain and just answer from that <laughs> let's just pretend you know it and then answer let's just say you had to answer this. you're in front of the king and the king's like, oh you know everything about the brain. what's what's this and you're like okay i can't not answer
0: what are you gonna say no i i I, maybe an equivalent scenario that i have again very very limited understanding would be uh something like a a a stroke um where you you have loss of uh blood flow to an area of the brain and it it seems to die and it, it it uh Sometimes the it's my understanding that sometimes you can um, treat the tissue in such a way that it sort of uh, the the cells don't all completely die and you can recover some function. I mean I think it's pretty amazing that the brain is can be so resilient. Um, but in, in terms of activity uh, after the heart stops, I, don't, I I don't know how long it is and. Uh, what sort of things would be going on in the mind at that time? I mean,
1: evidently it's 15 minutes, bro.
0: Okay. I'll, I'll have to check that out. Okay. I, I'm, I need to be a better neuroscientist.
1: Someone asks, uh, is there a correlation in, uh, neurobiology and yoga? Does it physiologically change the brain and actually have mental health benefits?
0: Ooh, also a tough one. Um, not my, again, not my area of expertise, but there, there are people who, who, uh, investigate like uh, meditation um, uh, and other sort of uh, you know techniques that can uh, alter cognition or mm-hmm. change state of mind and i, I again i'm not well versed in the in the neurobiology but i'm sure there are imaging studies which uh, you know have have shown effects of uh, of these things but Unfortunately, I just, I don't know what they are.
1: What about, uh, here's one. Does my Chiari malformation affect chemical balances in the brain? I don't know what that means. Do you know what a Chiari malformation is? (laughs) I don't. God damn it, Paul. I'm going to have to Google it right (laughs) now. I'm Googling right now. Chiari malformation. Here we go. Chiari malformation. What the fuck is this? Chiari malformation on the mayoclinic.com is a condition in which the brain tissue extends into your spinal canal. It occurs when part of your skull is abnormally shaped or misshapen, pressing on your brain and forcing it downward. Chiari, Chiari malformation is uncommon, but increased use of imaging tests have led to more frequent diagnosis. Doctors categorize Chiari malformation of three types, depending on the anatomy of the brain. Type 1 uh, develops as a skull or brain are growing, and pediatric forms are type 2 and type 3, are present at birth. So I guess they have... People with QRM malformation have no signs of treatment. They don't need treatment. Their condition is detected only when tests are performed, blah, blah, So it seems like it can cause neck pain, unsteady gait, poor hand coordination, numbness, dizziness, difficulty swallowing, vision problems. These are all sort of – these are all hypothalamus okay. problems, aren't they?
0: Uh, hypothalamus, but also hindbrain. I, okay. I, I see here that they have some problems like they can they can get abnormal breathing. And I think that's controlled by an area of the medulla, the ventrolateral medulla, if I recall correctly. So uh, I, I would imagine the the pressure of this could could cause functional effects. So, so but would you say?
1: So this person has they have Chiari malformation. That means that their brain is extending extending their spinal spinal cord. So, so do you think that would cause chemical uh, affect chemical balances in the brain or no?
0: What do you think? Almost, almost certainly.
1: It would. Okay. Why is that? Because even though it's, just, it's like a physical thing that's happening, how come that would change the, the chemical stuff?
0: So, uh, I, I I mean, uh, you you can have um, – that's actually one of the really interesting things about ultrasound, um, the, the thing that we're working on. Um, it can have natural effects on the, on the brain, and, and you actually have these mechanosensitive channels that – they think can so if you apply certain uh, forms of ultrasound to the brain, the ultrasound alone can can impact the activity. It can excite the cells or it can it can turn them off without any drug, without anything else. Um, and this seems to be due to uh, mechanosensitive uh, channels that can can alter activity. So, so you're I, talking about I, the old I, school. I,
1: I, Basically, like poking a. We have like that video of someone's got their skull removed and they're in surgery, and the surgeon pokes the brain, and their foot shoots up. It's basically a much, much more subtle version of that, right? Uh,
0: yeah, you, okay. could, you could certainly say that. Wow. Um, the other thing is, um, I, 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 again, I don't know what repeated compression does to like the change in uh, like say cell and molecular changes that would happen in the area that might modify how how cells transmit but there there's a an actually really interesting case um, that they they teach uh, in neuroanatomy courses to sort of highlight the uh, importance of well, in this case, it was a tumor that was pressing on an area of the brain. Mm-hmm. Did, did you ever hear about the guy in Texas who went up into the clock tower and and just started shooting people?
1: You talking about Kent like a, a, a long time ago, like in Kent State, or was this? Yeah.
0: No, oh. I don't think it was Kent State. It was it was somewhere in Texas, okay. I, I think. And and this guy just was it recently. He snapped. I want to say it was like the 70s. Okay. I don't recall the guy's name. But I
1: kind of know he's... a bit about this, but I, I, go ahead.
0: Yeah, so this this guy was always apparently a, a reliable individual. He was in the military. Um, after he got out of the military, he he was married and he started noticing like these these behavior changes. And he was cognizant of it. He would even write notes to himself. Um, like uh, he would get really angry at his wife and explode. And he would write wow. post its like "Don't do this." So something was seriously going wrong. And at some point, he just be- he had this just compulsion to to go out and start killing people and sadly he he went up and i think into a clock tower and just started killing people and after the the autopsy they 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 went back and they found that there was a a a tumor growing next to his amygdala which is an area that's uh that's like the moral part of the brain right yeah uh, sort of the the emotional part of the brain um so um they don't know if it's because of compression or if it's because, uh, well, they can't say anything causal technically, but it, it, it would be very unlikely that this tumor didn't have some effect on his behavior. Wow. And I don't, I don't know if it was because it changed uh, neurotransmitters in the area. It may very well have been. Or it could have been compression itself, uh, like these people with the Chiari malformation experience. Yeah, okay. Uh, but, but very profound and, and uh, behavior that would not be unexpected with uh, you tinkering with this area of the brain.
1: crazy. Uh, I got a question here from a boy, Chris Crofton, who asks: We th- we kind of talked about this earlier, which is uh, how does OCD work chemically? And you sort of mentioned that, but you didn't say talk about it chemically so much, did you?
0: No, I I, I didn't say much about that.
1: Because trichotillomania um, is a form of OCD, isn't it?
0: Exactly. Okay. Um, and so they they have uh, several. Uh, genes that have been uh, associated with this that they've found, found particularly in in animal models interestingly um, in in one case it's it's a protein that sits um, at the recipient cell so you know in the brain you have uh, axons which come into contact with dendrites and this the, the receiving cell is called the postsynaptic cell and um, there's there's a protein in there that that normally um, Sort of acts as a scaffold uh, for for other proteins to attach to, and when this is missing, it causes this this problem specifically in the the striatum. That's the area that I was talking about. It seems to be involved in movement, but also in uh, reward, motivation, and, wow. and compulsivity. Okay. Um, the interesting thing is there's there's another form of this. That's actually somehow linked to our uh, our hematopoietic system. Wait, so what the, the wait, wait, the, wait, wait, the the wait a second. what
1: the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> so that, that
0: that's our that's our blood cells, our bone marrow. And, what do you call it again? The hematopoietic. Okay, system. I heard the word "heme,"
1: which means blood, right? Yeah. Uh, coming from the so, Greek "hemo,"do uh, which means uh, to be round and red. I don't know that. I just that, made that up. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure "hemo" is a Greek word, right?
0: Uh, it, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, it's definitely Greek, dog. Okay, we'll keep going.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, th- uh, they 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 couldn't figure out uh, why this uh, gene knockout. So they they eliminated this gene, and they couldn't understand why it was causing compulsivity, this this trichotillomania. Mm-hmm. And they actually did a bone marrow transplant. Um, so it, it seems to be something that's derived from 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 our our, our blood precursors, which can form not only into like red blood cells but uh, also you know T cells and B cells they all arise from our our, our bone marrow. So you're saying this but person
1: it, developed trichotillomania after a uh, bone marrow transplant.
0: Well, this is actually an animal model. Um, okay, so okay. and, and, and they when they did a bone marrow transplant in the animals, they did nothing to the brain, just a bone marrow transplant. This somehow reversed the the phenotype. So they stopped So they
1: stopped, stopped having trichotillomania.
0: Exactly. Wow. So it's a really, really interesting paper by a really good group. So the idea um, is
1: maybe to find a way to, to solve this problem without having a bone marrow transplant by finding out what exactly is coming from that bone marrow transplant and like the, the tiny, minute, whatever it is, the protein. And you can take that protein and basically deliver it specifically as opposed to having to do something as crazy as a bone marrow transplant.
0: Sure, yeah, I, I I was simply pointing that out because it seemed to be a, a, a Non-neurological well it, it undoubtedly in, impacted the, the central nervous system But h- how that that fixed it? We don't know yet. It was just sort of an interesting side note, but in terms of, of OCD um, the, the, there seem to be Impairments of an area of the brain called the orbital frontal cortex. Okay. And so this this is an area of the brain that uh, Have you ever heard of Phineas gage?
1: Uh, is that a dude or a symptom?
0: It's it's a guy.
1: Okay, no, he I haven't heard a, of him. Sounds cool. He was
0: a a rail, railroad worker, um, and one time I think he was pounding a stake in, and some, and I think he had dynamite in there. But basically, this rod flew up through his uh, through his face into the frontal areas, wow. um, including the orbital frontal cortex, which seems to be involved in. Uh, a lot of aspects of cognition um uh but um specifically um it it uh well i'll just say this because i can't boil it down to this one brain Mm -hmm. region but this this guy went from being like a very reliable person very friendly person to just a jerk. He he, <laughs> he was no longer reliable. He, I think, became like a compulsive gambler. But you saw this profound disinhibition. He, it's amazing that he survived this. Yeah, uh, that's all, the first I'm place.
1: looking at a picture of this right now, and it looks like it went through his goddamn skull. It did. Okay.
0: Yeah. And he... he he just had this profound personality change, and and we have some better understanding of uh, of this being d- due to these frontal areas, including the wow. orbital frontal cortex, um, which again it seems to that uh, these areas, when functioning properly, uh, it, 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 they they allow us to uh, assess a situation and value, um, let's say. Uh, when assessing a situation, you can you can evaluate things in the long term rather than just the short term. Okay,
1: and, that's interesting.
0: Um, so, anyways,
1: have you read? So, the, okay, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh no, go ahead.
1: I, I had nothing to say. I was probably gonna make a farting sound.
0: <laughs> okay. I was just going to say that uh, in in different models of compulsivity i don 't I don't know that they 've directly applied this to these trichotillomania problems, but in other areas they they 've used um, optogenetics uh, I think we spoke briefly about this last time but okay. basically you can you can introduce a gene using a vector into an area of the brain and it, it forms it makes this protein a light channel um, that can allow you to turn on or off areas of the brain. And what they found is uh, the, there's a group that recently came here la- last week. They, they, they found a way um, to stimulate areas of this, this area of the, uh, in, in the orbital frontal cortex that, that sends its axons to the uh, area we were talking about before, the striatum. Um, they, they found abnormalities in this circuit. And when they apply a specific light pulse signal... They seem to be able to uh, take compulsive animals and uh, reverse this behavior. Um, it, it's it's really interesting. That's crazy. Um,
1: That's after they introduced the uh, the vector with the with the thing. Yep.
0: So they can exactly.
1: They basically put in like a sleeper cell. They can switch on and off.
0: Yep, exactly. They, that's this cool. way they can modify the, the orbital frontal cortex cells that are that are responsible for this. And it, it's not actually due to these genes that I was talking about that are knocked out, but uh, it, 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 there are certain plasticity rules in this area, and they use those rules to correct abnormal plasticity and correct this, uh, this problem.
1: So none of this stuff is available for people right now, right? This is all stuff that's purely trial mode it won't this is how far down the road are we looking at for something like you just talked about to be available to people who have these issues
0: yeah so that's that's the thing uh they certainly won't use optogenetics in uh, the near future or possibly if ever why is that um, well it's it's again the the gene therapy problem um the, there are additional problems uh not, not just Just with safety, getting a vector in, getting these channels into um, your brain cells, but also activating them reliably. Usually, you have to put a fiber optic uh, uh, fiber into the brain. That's pretty uh, heavy duty. Yeah, it is. So it's it's quite invasive, and and, and that's sort of one thing that I didn't really stress with. With our technique, the goal is to be able to do this non invasively right? You don't have to do brain surgery. Yeah. You can uh, hopefully have a similar effect, but without uh, injecting or doing gene therapy or, and or having right. surgery.
1: This makes me think so. about something I learned about kind of recently. Do you know about this? I, bl- I think it's a parasite, and I think it's something that is somehow uh, lives it's something that cat owners tend to get. It's a, uh, you probably know all about it. Right. And isn't taxoplasmosis, doesn't it cause people to have like a severe loss of inhibition and cause them to basically to be very bold in their life?
0: I, 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 I think so. I don't know about humans, but I've heard that it, it actually happens to mice and or rats. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it After they get this parasite, they, they they actually lose their fear of natural predators.
1: Right. So um, let's just, uh, there's some version of it that evidently is in human. Do you know anything about this one in humans? I didn't. Evidently there's one like Brit, you know, Brit, you know who Brit is, my wife. Yeah. My. Of she, course. Congratulations, she, by the way. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> she uh, was telling me about because we always talk joke about like any person who is super successful in business or something. Like you know that guy you know about the fire festival it was this thing that was such a big deal a few months ago because there was a couple documentaries that came out about this festival that happened in the Bahamas that was put on by this guy named Billy something and he was he's like a classic. Huge balls venture capitalist who's totally full of shit and also a compulsive liar. But he did all this stuff that was at a huge risk to himself and all his investors. And it's almost the thing you see his behavior, and it doesn't make sense that any normal person would do this. It almost makes sense like they would have some sort of a an infection or a, uh, from a parasite that's causing their them to act like you talk about these other people, these cases like guy Phineas Gage or someone else other sure. guy you mentioned that like, who shot up people in Texas like maybe he's got something going on in his brain that's causing him to be to act so significantly reckless,
0: sure <laughs> well. Who knows? Maybe you, you could patent toxoplasmosis for uh, CEOs. Yeah, for for uh,
1: extreme sports athletes. Yeah. Sure. Have you thought, you thought about crazy. making a designer version of toxoplasmosis so that people can have, <laughs> like, they can inject it before the gym or before, like, a racquetball game? <laughs> so they should have no fear.
0: <laughs> That's not a bad idea, Johnny.
1: <laughs> have you seen this movie, uh, this show called Homecoming? It's on, uh, I can't remember what channel it's on. I think it's on Amazon, maybe. I haven't. Okay, you should also watch this. It's Julie Roberts and Bobby Cannavale and uh, some other great actors. It's really good. The music in it is the best music I've ever heard in anything ever because they steal all this music from other uh, famous movies and stuff. They don't steal it. They repurpose it. But it's the same guy who created that that show, Mr. Robot, Sam Esmail. And uh, it's a miniseries, but it's all about... The the government using uh, drugs to stop PTSD in soldiers, but it's something where they're basically making them forget uh, forget things through through therapy through some sort of drug therapy, but obviously it's it's a drama and things go crazy. But you might think it's I mean I'm interested to hear what you think about it because it sounds sounds to be akin to what you're working on, where it's this thing where taking something that's a drug and having it affect the, uh, the way the brain deals with things?
0: Uh, interestingly enough, that's uh, there, there's sort of a model that you wouldn't quite call PTSD, but mm-hmm. we would like to to adapt this to certain areas of the brain that seem to be involved in the formation of fear memories. Okay, And wow. these are obviously exaggerated. And they, they seem to have some protocols in animals that uh, would be – probably akin to what they're suggesting in the movie that you can 100% the same thing
1: exactly the same thing
0: sure yeah so the idea would be to recall these memories uh in some way and then to uh somehow selectively act on this circuit that's driving you know the the ptsd or these these bad memories to to erase them so uh yeah they've been very successful using a, a variety of of methods and protocols that okay. sort of erasing sort of fear memories in in animals. How that will apply to to humans? Like how successful it'll be? I'm I, I'm not sure yet, but it's exciting.
1: Okay, one more question here from the listeners: What do you think of the holonomic brain theory? I don't know what that means. Do you know what that means?
0: I don't know what that means. There, there are probably some other guys in lab who, who work on the, the computational aspects of of neuroscience who, who might know no more about that. Okay, inhibitor. I'm
1: looking it up right but, now for you. The holonomic brain theory is a branch of neuroscience investigating the idea that human consciousness is formed by, a, by quantum effects in or between brain cells. This is opposed... By traditional neuroscience which investigates the brain's behavior by looking at patterns of neurons and the surrounding chemistry and w- and which assumes that any quantum effects will not be significant at this scale. So there that's basically what it is. So it's basically quantum mechanics of the brain.
0: I see. Yeah, so so there, there's a very famous mathematician who who had worked with actually um, Stephen Hawking named Roger Penrose who, who had an idea about this several years ago and it uh, unfortunately, um, you can't cool a brain to absolute zero and, uh, <laughs> sort of and have it eliminate working at the same time. Yeah, exactly. So, um, well, I do So you're know. saying
1: that because absolute zero is what's required to observe these, these type of quantum effects.
0: I, I mean, I, I think for most fundamental experiment, like fundamental physics experiments, you you have to control things usually by cooling them or putting them in a right. vacuum to reduce the thermal noise. So I guess that's a bit of an exaggeration, but yeah, usually these these ideas, like Roger Penrose's idea, was pretty ridiculous. I have to say, like um, he he was sort of saying that there was this arbitrary protein. in 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 cells it's it's an important protein but Mm -hmm. he he was he was suggesting that there's some i think it was like quantum coherence between uh different cells and this protein which you don't even need to to do the research to realize that uh he he's really just has no idea what he's talking about he's hand waved.
1: it's speculation yeah it's pure speculation interesting i don't know
0: maybe uh, again i don't i don't know anything about these things but the notion that that uh, you could somehow measure quantum consciousness. I, I don't know. It seems we're not there yet. Un- unlikely. Yeah, not there yet.
1: So I have this thing. Uh, I have a question for you now before we wrap things up. Uh, in terms of the brain, the brain's still pretty much a, a pretty much like a frontier, right? There's so much we don't know about the brain. Is that right? That's right. So what would you say? I remember There's that documentary about uh, Donald Rumsfeld. It's, I can't remember what it's called, but he. Um, he says something he says there are there are no known knowns, there are unknown knowns, there are unknown unknowns, and there are known unknowns. so I guess what, I, what I'm really interested in is what do you know that you don't know? You know what I mean? What's something that you're aware of? what's something that neuroscience is very aware of, but they don't understand it
0: um I think one thing would be that the drugs that we have to treat, uh, thing, especially psychiatric disorders, they work somehow, but we don't really have a good understanding of why.
1: <laughs> they just sort of like they just work.
0: Yeah, and and it's funny because a lot of these things, like they, they're serendipitous discoveries. They're they're not. It's not that they were trying to to come up with an antidepressant, but it it, it turns yeah. out that. Uh, uh it it ended up working and they picked up on that and they just tried to make all sorts of molecules that look the same as that one that worked and um they seem to work but we don't know how man another one is lithium that's that's really interesting okay it's, it's 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 an ion right and talk about
1: what's an ion mean exactly
0: uh, it's, it's, it, it, it's an, it's an atom that's, uh, in your bloodstream is dissociated from, uh, like it's the other atom that it, it, it forms a bond with and it's charged. So, and an, so an
1: ion is a charged, uh, atom, is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay.
0: And so it's, it's sort of promiscuous. This can go and it can bind to all different. Uh, proteins Uh and probably even like rna like you you have really no idea how it works but it's actually extremely effective Uh, i think it's the only known uh drug that can actually reduce suicide
1: wow so how come it's not more popular then because it's such an old thing it's just an it's literally an element right lithium is an element
0: yep uh, so, they still use it. Uh, right. it's just, I have a
1: friend who, have... whose wife takes it for depression.
0: It seems. Does to be... it help? Hopefully.
1: I don't know. I don't know her or him that well to to ask that. But I mean, I, 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 she's not. She's not dead.
0: That's 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 great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you you can actually take it for a lifetime as long as you don't. I, I think the big problem is thyroid effects. Okay. Um. So, but you monitor that relatively closely and you titrate your dose and. Uh, it can, it, yeah, it can enable normal lives for people who would otherwise not have them wow. uh, for a lifetime. And it was something; <laughs> it's it's very old, and we still really don't know how it works.
1: Do you know much about LSD and its effect? Isn't LSD something that's a very small, it's a very small molecule, right? Something that's really small, so its its effects on the it brain is. are are interesting, right?
0: Uh, they they are uh i I'm, I'm not uh too up to snuff on the pharmacology I, I i think it's serotonin 2a and 1a receptors that uh that mediate this effect but uh i'm i'm i i am i do not know a ton about it
1: sandoz uh, baby isn't that a swiss lab
0: i think it is yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's what they
1: developed uh, hoffman developed it at uh, sandoz in switzerland right
0: I think you're right. Did you did you read the story of how he discovered it?
1: I um I think I have. Tell you tell me the story though. Uh,
0: well, he 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 again was working on uh, creating molecules that had nothing to do with <laughs> what LSD does. Right. And I think he wasn't wearing gloves. And so after he synthesized it, he was he was riding his bike home, and he he was basically tripping. Um, he must and tripping it was
1: pretty fucking hard. <laughs>
0: I think so. So that's the thing about LSD is I think it's a very potent drug. Like it doesn't take. Uh, Let me
1: tell you how it is. Uh, Listeners, of the podcast (laughs) will know this, but I had an accident about a year and a half ago where I was given some liquid LSD from uh, someone, and it was a very, very small vial of it. And I was attempting to dilute it with a with a pipette, with the very smallest pipette I could find, and I started doing it and then I sort of like gave up because I realized I don't have the stuff necessary to do this and I flushed the pipette with water after, after I got all the LSD out of the pipette I flushed it with water and I was like what the hell I'll just have the rest of the water that I cleaned the pipette with. Fast forward two hours I'm having the most intense heavy and uh, just in, most intense, in, intense LSD trip I've ever had in my entire life and it was it was a I must have taken almost equivalent to two doses of, of LSD with that just flushing the the pipette with water after I had ejected all the liquid, all the visible liquid.
0: It's that oh strong.
1: Like I could not even see the liquid that was remaining that caused me to hallucinate so heavily. And that, that just it made me realize just I don't know, the power of something that's so, so small. Sure. It's so incredible. Did you...
0: Did you get like synesthesia? I've heard that can happen with LSD, and um, I think we've discussed that before.
1: I didn't really have any synesthesia. A synesthesia is when you have like um, a sort of sensory crosses, right? Like you hear a you hear a smell, you see a sound, that kind of thing. Yeah. I guess I didn't really have that. Um, I did just. It was just a really overwhelming near out of body experience where I was. Um, it was, hard. it was almost a, almost ego disillusion or uh, dissolving of the ego. Really? Yeah, so it's pr- pretty heavy, pretty heavy shit. But I th- and I just, so
0: it was a positive thing?
1: I'd say net positive, but at the time there was a couple points when it was just overwhelming and it was something that was really, uh, I was like hanging on basically. I was kind of like hanging on for dear life, trying to stay in this dimension essentially. Wow. It, yeah it was pretty uh it was pretty hard but it was something where I, I definitely have a significant amount of respect for that stuff now and you realize I don't know it's something about like you realize something so so small can affect your brain so much it's really it's just amazing to think that can happen
0: and produce such like concrete effects like, oh my across god people.
1: That's, yeah
0: I, I, interesting
1: like massive effects that almost have no effect on anything but the brain sure like it maybe makes your heart rate speed up a bit and maybe I think you make you're prone to like uh, uh, having like being de- becoming dehydrated but otherwise there's no there aren't a real lot of, there aren't very many physical effects that are that are overwhelming like any other drug really yeah it's almost That's exclusively related to the brain
0: wow I, I, I i i have to say like uh I, I took a health class i don't know if you had mr thompson in high school
1: i can't i think we did yeah they probably said the LSD is gonna kill you
0: yeah it was it was you know they go through all the different drugs and they yeah. say what they do but i was i was fascinated when when he said that you can you can make senses and that's actually one of the the first times i really thought about neuroscience and wow. uh like yeah actually the effects of lsd i just I, I found that amazing like how could you hear a color or yeah uh smell of sound and and I started reading on it after that and that's that's really where I got hooked
1: have you encountered any synesthesia stuff in your studies since then like as a professional
0: I, I haven't I haven't studied it you know uh even though I find it really interesting um yeah I I I, I uh again not a not a great neuroscientist I don't uh
1: you're doing great Paul <laughs> Is there any uh, shout-outs you have or anything you want to you give a shout-out to any uh, massive drug companies <laughs> like that? <Or> give a <laughs> shout-out to Bayer, maybe. Um, I'm trying to think. There's all, there's all these drug companies that are in the news now for being really terrible. I think some of them kind of are. But at the same time, there's always medicines I take that make me not feel like tr- crazy trash. And it's the same people who make fentanyl, the same people who make... Um, you know, what's the bad shit that everyone hates? It's Oxycontin. Yeah. Yeah. Which are, I mean, it's so, all the stuff you're talking about it. So that stuff was developed so long ago by comparison, because it takes forever to get that shit developed, right?
0: It, it it takes a long time, certainly. And the thing is with, you know, most medications is the, you know, the people who are developing them, they have the best intentions and, Oftentimes these are like effective drugs for a given indication. The problem is once it becomes marketable, uh, sometimes people within the company to improve sales, they might do unethical things and they might not care that you're driving like an entire generation into terrible, potentially irreversible addiction.
1: I think you have a – that's quite a wonderful way to say it and also maybe a massive understatement, but also very – very well very well put <laughs> it's a big cool. mess caused by some people who uh definitely not the people who are involved in creating the thing
0: yeah that's yeah. not to say that, that scientists are always moral but i I, mm-hmm. I think at that stage your your hope is the best but it, it sort of comes out of your hands after uh that after the science is done
1: yeah man anything you want to uh, leave with you want to talk about say anything about switzerland real quick
0: I love Switzerland um I'll have to send you pictures of my engagement so that that was the last time you you spoke to me you wanted to do an interview but I was going to get engaged so we went to the Bernese Alps which I think if anyone's listening and you go to Switzerland go go to the Bernese Alps to Grindelwald and uh Jungfrau uh and do the Kleine Scheidegg it's it's like the most beautiful place I've ever seen
1: if anyone's listening yes they're listening Paul (laughs) <laughs> hey, have you well, ever read the, uh, the you. Have you read the Mark Twain book, uh, A Tramp Abroad?
0: You told me about this. I haven't read it. My brother was reading it when he was here. Check I, I it need out. To steal that from him.
1: You have to do it. Check it out.
0: Yeah, you said he's he's really hilarious. Oh, it's uh, it's
1: really really funny, and he talks about being up at Yelp, the exact place you just talked about. I think he was there. He talks about getting caught in a snowstorm, and it's a really funny, cool story. So
0: I will definitely check that out.
1: Thanks for talking with me, Paul. I appreciate it. Thank you. Dr. Paul you Johnson of Switzerland place that maybe I'll just leave unnamed so you can Or you can say whatever. You want to say mention your lab?
0: Uh, sure. We're okay. we're at ETH or ETH Zurich and our advisor is Mehmet Fati Yannick, So I'd like to certainly thank him and the guys who uh, I did this project with uh Mehmet Ozdes and Agam Shah. They they did so much and they're such talented scientists.
1: So. Good shit coming from that place. <laughs> Thanks, Paul.
0: Thank you, Johnny. I hope to come You're so worldly soon. And, and generous. Yes, I look forward. I have some West Platerian twelves for us. What is that? Uh, the you know the Trappistale that. that oh, okay. that's yes. Very highly ranked. Yes. I sent some home to my brother, so I think there's two or three. So nice. Uh, next time we get together. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. Bye, Paul. See you, Johnny. Bye.
1: a podcast network.